But we're going to head back to our Babylon series. I wasn't sure where we would be at time-wise, but we're doing okay. Um, So last week, we talked about the character of Babylon by talking about the character, the schemes, the craftiness of the king of Babylon. And if you were with us, this language will resonate or remind you if you weren't. I invite you to listen to last week's message if you're curious. But we talked about how the demonic brings disorder into our world, into God's good creation. The the demonic brings disorder. And part of the craftiness of the serpent, the satanic, is that the satanic then comes to our rescue in the midst of the disorder by presenting us with false order. (laughs) And the false order is not as beautiful or as amazing as the true order of God's design for his kingdom and his creation, but it looks a lot better than than the disorder of the demonic. And so we often run blindly into the false order of the satanic, and we begin to get a little bit too comfortable in Babylon. And as I've listened, I I mean, honestly, you guys give me a gift when you get excited or even maybe pretend to be excited about the sermon series I'm doing. It it does me good. But I really do think we're, we're on something here that is just reverberating in many of our souls as we try to name Babylon. I think we're tired of playing Babylon's game by Babylon's rules with Babylon's tools. And we feel the tension and the pull, and we're a bit adrift sometimes. And what I'm trying to do as we go through this series a little bit is, is I I said last week, I want to go back and forth a little bit. I want to talk about Babylon. The Bible gives us all kinds of language to talk about what we're experiencing in Babylon, and I want to name it. And But I don't want to just talk about Babylon every week because Babylon, you know this, is overwhelming. (laughs) And I don't want to be four weeks into the series and we're all just like blank-faced, overwhelmed. Oh my goodness, another week on on the heaviness of Babylon. And so I'm trying to go back and forth. And this morning I I want to, I mean, we'll we'll journey a little bit, but I want to kind of lean into, okay, we're going to name Babylon and we're going to talk about it and we're going to be honest about it, but I also want to lean into the resources that we have in our biblical narrative and into the treasure troves that we have in Jesus Christ to know that we don't have to be overwhelmed. And so we're going to name two things, and I'll tell you now when we get to the end, you're going to love one of them and you're going to not like the other, but you need them both. You're going to need, this is like a starting point for us. They're, without these two things, we're not going to get very far at living beautiful, garden-rich lives in the midst of Babylon. So let's start in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. There's a bunch of little, little chunks of scripture we'll look at this morning as we're following this theme of Babylon in the Bible. The Apostle Peter finishes this first letter, which I recommend. It's great. And again, he's kind of like trying to help the church. And he says, I've written and sent this short letter to you at the very end with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you, because it's hard, that that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. I know it's hard, but, but what you're experiencing is part of God's grace for you, so stand firm. Peter says, stand firm in this grace. 
And then he says this, verse 13, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. I just want to hone in as we start here in that little phrase, greetings from Babylon. Peter is writing, he says, greetings from Babylon. Listen, church, it turns out we aren't the first believers to wake up, look around, and realize we're living in Babylon. And so we actually have this amazing gift, this benefit of this story where we can learn from others who have lived out their identity and calling as the people of God in the midst of Babylon. So we don't have to start from scratch. We can stand on the shoulders of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. We ask the question, how did they do it? And again, throughout this series, we'll, we'll pick up more and more ways of understanding so that if we really want to thrive in Babylon, I think we can. Because I promise you, you have everything you need in Jesus. So we're going to turn to the prophets. And again, I I did a longer sermon on this about 18 months ago. I did a series, I think, on home in exile. So I'm going to go a little quickly, but, but you'll get the point. We're going to look at two quick passages from Jeremiah and Daniel, two of our prophets from the Old Testament. And one of the gifts of the prophets is that the prophets can imagine the world other than it is. That's the beauty of their spirit-inspired poetry as they imagine the world other than it is. Most of us just take the world as it is. We assume it has to be like this. And so, again, using our language from last week, we experience the demonic disorder or the satanic false order, and we just accept it as reality. This is the way the world is. It's the way the world always has been. It's probably always going to be this way. It's just the way the world is. But the prophets come along and they're capable of imagining by the Spirit of God the world other than it is. So we need their voice. And in Jeremiah 29, the, the, the people of God, the Jewish people, the Israel is, is, being, is being sent off into exile in Babylon. And there's a lot of false prophets in the day saying, oh, it's not a big deal. Don't worry, you'll be back. Don't even pack your bags. You'll be back before you know it. And Jeremiah comes along and he's like, oh no, that's not what's going to happen. And he writes this letter in Jeremiah 29. You can read the whole thing. I'm just going to pick up in verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Find spouses for them so they can have many grandchildren. Multiply and do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for Babylon, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Jeremiah is saying, look, I understand that Babylon is not your true home. I know it and I get it. But you need to learn to make Babylon your home for now. And what he's saying in these verses is that you need to do all that is necessary for you to live meaningful lives. Don't just sit there and do nothing waiting to go home because it's going to be a long time. 
This is not all God has to say. We got a whole series, but this is one of the first things God has to say. Look, don't just, don't just, don't just wait to go home. You got to make Babylon your home for now. Of course, that's not all God has to say because the danger of just that word from God is that it's too easy for the people of God then to just become Babylonian. And that, of course, is not being the light of the world that God wants his people to be. And so we turn to Daniel. I mean, so much of the book of Daniel is how do you live in Babylon without compromising your true identity as the people of God, your covenant identity. Or I could say this morning for Christians, how do we live in the midst of modern day Babylon without compromising our baptismal identity? That's a major part of what baptism is. We're going to be having a baptism pretty soon. Um, I'm talking to a bunch of people. If you're interested or have questions, you've never been baptized, but you believe in Jesus. It's part of how you show that you, this is your covenant identity. I am, a, I'm, I'm one who has been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the book of Daniel is the Old Testament, the covenant identity. How did, how did Daniel, and, and we'll pick up in verse 6, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, how did they maintain their covenant identity? How did they make, how did they seek the welfare of Babylon without, comp, without crossing lines that they can't cross? without compromising themselves. Verse 6, these four men were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. And this is part, again, and we'll get into this a little, this is part of the craftiness of the serpent, the king of Babylon, right? This is part of the scheming of the, of the evil one, is to attack our identity, cause us to question or change our names. And so they renamed Daniel Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, Azariah, Abednego. But verse 8, and this would launch into, you can read more. This, I'm just going to read verse 8. It launches into, Daniel was determined. I could say not to forget who he is, not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And so he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. He knew what God had asked of him. And he was not going to compromise himself. This is hard, and this is tricky. I mean, you just need to accept the fact that this is not easy. How do you live in Babylon and make it your home? You belong, but you don't really belong. You live there, but you know, you, you, you're not really Babylonian. You can't be because, because God is your king. I mean, living with, the, I mean read the, living with this holy tension, people have gone before us and wrestled with us again and again. So much of the book of Revelation is re- wrestling with this tension. To live here and make it our home, but we didn't choose to live in Babylon. We've been exiled here, and we know we'll never truly be at home here. To seek the welfare of the city, but also understand that you can only expect so much from a corrupt city. I mean, it's a difficult line to walk, to belong to Babylon, but only so far to live in Babylon, but not become Babylonian. To to listen to Jeremiah say, I know Babylon's not your home, but you need to make it your home for now. And if you read through Daniel, you keep reading, what you'll discover is that they found it was really, it's possible. 
Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they found it's possible to maintain their covenant identity while living in Babylon, but risks are involved. And at times they had to risk a fiery furnace or a lion's den. Well, I want to jump to the New Testament. Um, There's just a little passage that I was drawn to this week as I was kind of reflecting on these things, life in Babylon. And so I want to turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple verses and we'll kind of draw out these two. You may already see them in what I read in Jeremiah and Daniel, but I'll draw them out more clearly. Paul's going to make it pretty clear. Verses 27 to 30. We'll start with 27 and I'll say a few things and then we'll come back to the text. Paul is writing from prison in Rome, which Peter's in Rome when he says he's in Babylon, right? Because one Babylon falls and another one replaces it until Christ returns. That's the story of human history. Um, So Paul's writing from prison in Rome and he says, above all, Actually, he might not be in Rome in Philippians, but, but he's writing from prison in the midst of the Roman Empire. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. That's your true identity. You are citizens of heaven. You are, you're living in Babylon now, but you need to remember that your true identity is that you are citizens of the kingdom of God and that Jesus alone is your king. He says, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus Christ. The first critical piece in Jesus' kingdom is knowing that you are a citizen of heaven. And let me say it this way as I kind of draw out the contrast with Babylon in a moment. You are a child to be loved. We talked about the character of the king of Babylon last week. And we'll talk a little bit more about how you are then viewed if you are in his kingdom. But in the kingdom of God, you are a child to be loved. God, God sees you. And he knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He cares about you. He pursues you. The loudest declaration of the heart of God is Jesus on the cross. And Jesus on the cross tells us that even when you aren't there, God is considering what is good for you. Let me say it this way. God takes your good into account even if it's costly for him and jesus goes to the cross for you and for i really to deliver us from the tyranny of babylon we'll talk more about that next week actually but but as you enter into the kingdom you realize and we've talked about this across you life life becomes a gift to be lived Not a game to be won. You don't have to do the rat race anymore. And we do actually get, we talked a little last week, we get new tools. We can lay down these tools or even these weapons in Babylon and we pick up different tools. (laughs) And we live by different rules in the kingdom of God. I mean, just check out Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and the Sermon on the Mount. Those become our new rules for this gift we've been given. Now let me read this quote. I I come back to this from time to time. An identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, who are you? you? When you think of who you are, the first thing that would come to your mind is your status as someone who is deeply loved by God. I mean, your invitation into his kingdom is, I love you. I've died for you. Come into my kingdom. 
(laughs) I've made a way for you to have life. Christians affirm a foundation of identity that is absolutely unique in the marketplace of spiritualities. Whether we realize it or not, our being is grounded in God's love. The generative love of God was our origin. The embracing love of God sustains our existence. The inextinguishable love of God is the only hope for our fulfillment. Love is our identity and our calling, for we are children of love, created from love, of love, and for love. Our existence makes no sense apart from divine love. Don't forget, that's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And we long for this because that's our true home, but we're trying to make a home here in Babylon. And what's different about Babylon? In Babylon, you are not a child to be loved. You are a resource to be used. I hope you know that. And we could talk, maybe a later sermon, we'll talk about some of these isms. Consumerism, materialism, we could keep going. Secularism, all these isms. And you're, you're a resource to be used. You are not a child to be loved. You're a resource to be rallied for someone else's agenda. Or you are a resource to be drained for someone else's profit. That is life in Babylon. Don't make that your identity. Don't make that your foundation. Because it'll just keep, it's disorder, it's false order. You'll just, you'll just keep feeling the weight of the world. And your soul will not be at rest. I was having a conversation with someone this week. I shared this with their permission, though I won't tell you who it is. But as someone older than me, sitting across the table, we're having this conversation and they are in what what they would call probably the most successful time in their life. If you view it through the lens of materialism and consumerism, they're just, their vocation, their career, it's the most successful, where they're living and how much they're making, they're just, they're, they're in demand and they're doing really, really well. And they're doing, and they're honestly doing it with a heart towards Jesus. They're doing everything right and they're just, but they're just really successful. But some of what it's costing them is a high degree of loneliness. And I'm sitting across from someone older than me who's in the most successful time of their career. And I'm just listening. I'm not asking questions. And they say unprompted to me, Jeff, I would rather live in a dumpster and know that I'm loved than be experiencing all the success that I'm experiencing right now and feel so alone. And I thought that's Babylon. There's the seductive lies of Babylon. Just drain that resource, you're to be used. Versus what our hearts are aching for. (laughs) To know our citizenship is in heaven, that we are a child of God. So the first critical piece, if you and I, I mean, again, if we're going to not be overwhelmed, you and I have to continue, keep coming back to who we are in Christ, what's available to us in Christ, how much we are loved by God. And I know that this doesn't just happen because I've shared this on more than one occasion. The number one thing I hear from people in the midst of sincere emotion when I'm doing pastoral counseling is, Jeff, I know God loves other people. And I know in my head he loves me, but I have so much trouble believing in my heart. Believe it, Crossview. God loves you. 
You are welcomed as a part of his family. Trust in Jesus and, and stop fighting it. Receive the love of God. Let the cross of Christ do everything Jesus wants it to do in your life. You and I will be lost in Babylon until we can grow deeper and deeper in our understanding that our identity is secure in Christ and he loves us. And if we have his love, we have everything we need. Now, I recognize that takes an act of faith to believe it, but it's true. All right, the second critical piece, that part you probably like. But the second critical piece, let's keep reading. 27, verse, second part. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. I love that. Even as a pastor, I feel like part of my calling is to serve the church and shepherd the church and, and make sure we're, like, uh, in some ways I'm leading to help us go. We're going together somewhere. That's some of what it means to be the church. We're not going alone or individually. We're going together and we're standing together together. And Paul says, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Now, we'll talk more about this fighting. Paul's going to use this language of fighting in his letters, but he probably means something different than what you might think he means if you've been schooled in Babylon. (laughs) Uh, What Paul means when he says fighting and even the weapons that Paul will talk about using while we fight. We'll look at some of that next week. Different. You can't let Babylon script you. You've got new rules, and they're Sermon on the Mount rules, and it's very different in the kingdom. We're putting down the tools we picked up in Babylon, because if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. God's way more creative than that. There's lots of tools at your disposal in his kingdom. He says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. And I, I was thinking, I think one of the reasons he says that you don't have to be intimidated. Your enemies are really good at fighting the Babylonian way, but you're not in that game anymore. You're out of the rat race. Life has come to you as a gift. And you have new rules and new tools. And so you don't have to be intimidated because, because you're, not, you're not playing their game anymore. You've been invited into something bigger and better. In fact, Paul says, and this is part of the victory in Christ, this will be a sign. You show them you're not playing their game anymore. They'll see that they're gonna be, their way of living is going to be destroyed. Babylon will fall. And that you're going to be saved even by God himself. Verse 29, here we go. So you start thinking, all right, well, all right, we're going to engage in some kind of fighting with Babylon, but we don't get to fight with their tools or their weapons or by their rules. Does that mean I'm going to get hurt? What does that mean? You said I got to do this whole Sermon on the Mount. What, What does that mean? Well, what does Paul say in verse 29? Here's our second critical piece if we're really going to navigate Babylon. Paul says, and I want you to hear his language, and you may not even believe it, but you need to push yourself to learn to understand what Paul means when he says this. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, amen, I love that, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And that's the second critical piece if we're going to live in Babylon. You cannot be so adverse to suffering. Or, because honestly, some of us actually probably experience, but most of us, we're so adverse to suffering, but it's not even in our imagination spectrum because we're even, 
Because we're just, we're just adverse to discomfort and inconvenience, which is like the, the minor form of suffering. It's not, I mean, we've got to get through this if we're going to actually be kingdom people in Babylon. Paul says, we're in the struggle together. You're not alone. You've seen my struggle. I mean, I'm in prison. <laughs> I mean, hear me, I'm in prison. And the gospel's going forth, right? Like this. When we, when we must... So we need to know who we are in Christ. And, and secondly, when we must, we, we suffer as those who belong to another kingdom. Suffering is part of what it means to be a Christian who follows a crucified Messiah. But suffering, again, sometimes feels inaccessible. So let me say it this way. Consider it a, consider it a privilege to suffer, but, but let me do, consider it a privilege to experience even discomfort and in, inconvenience for Christ. Consider it a privilege to not be fully understood for Christ. Consider it a privilege to be misrepresented for the name of righteousness. I mean, that's what Paul is getting at. If you don't enter into the life of following Christ, knowing that suffering is expected to be a part of your discipleship, then you will either be scandalized when you're called upon to suffer, or you'll simply abandon your faith or compromise all over the place. And again, I think myself included. I mean, I'm preaching to myself in this. I think we've all compromised ourselves in ways we don't even fully see. And part of what I hope is that this series begins to unearth, for all of us, myself included, ways that we've been willing to compromise in Babylon rather than maintain loyalty to Jesus. You and I need to get this in our head that we need to expect that because we truly belong to another kingdom, our citizenship is in heaven, we never fully fit in here, and that from time to time, that will result in inconvenient discomfort, and if need be, suffering, and maybe even martyrdom. (laughs) If we're going to take the witness of the New Testament church seriously. Or let me connect some dots from last week. Last week I talked about how we wake up in the morning and we're told what to fear, and we think we need this fear, and we carry fear. It's one of the tools in Babylon. We carry fear with us all the time. And I shared with you that it's part of the, I mean, I hate to say brilliant scheme of the satanic, because if you're afraid of your neighbor, you'll never be able to love your neighbor in the way of the Sermon on the Mount. But this morning, I want to say part of our false order in living in modern-day Babylon is our perceived need of comfort, ease, and safety on our terms. I mean, this is where the false order, there's disorder, and then the false order comes in on my terms. Comfort, ease, and safety on my terms. Now, I say on my terms because I believe that God is the source of all true comfort. (laughs) And he will comfort you. And I believe that the, the yoke of Jesus Christ is easy and his burden is light. I believe that to the core of my being. And I pray with the Psalms regularly crying out to God who is my refuge and my fortress, my source of security and safety But all of that is on God's terms. If need be, we will suffer. We will experience discomfort. We will experience inconvenience. But I I know we can handle it. 
I mean, I, the likelihood is none of us will face martyrdom. But even if we did, God would make sure we can handle it. He would give us everything that we need to live well in these current times in modern day Babylon. Not everything needs to go your way. I know you don't want to hear it. I don't know that I want to hear it. But the seductive lies of Babylon that tell you everything can go your way are lies. And it's not going to happen. And you're just going to be on the sidelines, not really engaging in the honest places. You're not going to be authentic about what's really happening in the world and in your life. So to live well in Babylon, we've got to know who we are and we've, and we've got to expect suffering and maybe even see it as a privilege. And Paul's serious about this. So I just, I'm just going to just read these verses and, and just wrap us up and pray here. But I was kind of looking through because Paul will talk about the citizenship in heaven again in chapter 3. And then I was reading through chapter 4, this beautiful, this beautiful chapter on kind of gratitude and thanksgiving. But in chapter 4, verse 11, Paul is, again, giving us tracks to run on. What does this look like? How do I live in Babylon but not buy into the lies of Babylon? Well, verse 11, he says, because Paul knows his, he's, he's a, he has everything he needs in the love of God. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. That's, I, I know I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or with an empty stomach. I can have plenty or little. That's, that's countercultural right there. <laughs> but Paul says, I know how to do it because for I can do everything through Christ who gives. I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. My satisfaction, my fulfillment is not tied to all the seductive things that Babylon, Babylon's promising me. It's rooted in Jesus. So if we're going to navigate this and not be overwhelmed by Babylon, we've got to know who we are. We're loved, and it's so freeing. And we've got to be prepared to suffer. But maybe we start just be prepared to to experience inconvenience and discomfort. (laughs) Otherwise, we will be ineffective. We'll be more Babylonian than kingdom. And I don't know that we'll see all that we want to see happen here. But that's what it means to be a disciple of a crucified and risen Savior. Amen? All right, how about we pray and then we'll stand and sing one more song. Hi, Jesus, again, we're, we're going to continue to ask as we journey through and as we work with language and try to name Babylon. I'm going to ask, Spirit of God, that you would even, I mean, you're so personal that you would meet each of us where we are and help us to see how Babylon is creating both disorder and trying to rescue us with a false order that isn't the beauty of your kingdom. I I pray even this week that, and I know it's going to be hard for us because I live here too, but if we could just be honest about how much we long for comfort, ease, and safety on our terms. If we could be honest about why we have trouble receiving the love that is so clearly there in the gospel good news. Jesus, we want to have some really honest conversations with you. Maybe even right now as we sing this next song about who we are. Maybe throughout the week. Spirit of God, we need your help. We ask for your help. Convict us. Continue to show us our blind spots where we're more Babylonian than we are Christian. But don't don't let us be overwhelmed. 
help us to see that you're with us in the midst of this struggle, that you're leading us into a deeper, fuller, more abundant life, and that we can be a part of this unique battle (laughs) between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Babylon, and that we can see your life break out in the midst of death. That's who we want to be, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.